It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back to Money for Lunch. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> hey, I am glad you're here. Uh, we're just going to dive right into it. Uh, the quote of the day. The quote of the day was sent to me by Mark S. So if you want your quote on the air, send it to me. I'm available on all the social medias, and uh, or at least most of them, and then you can reach out to me Bert, at BertMartinez.com. If we pick your quote, not only will we uh, give you credit on the air, but we also will send you out some neat swag. Uh, so the quote of the day, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others by the great Mahatma Gandhi. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Mahatma Gandhi, one of my favorite quotes. I think this guy was, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, a prophet almost, for lack of a better term. Certainly, certainly he, he, he uh, embodied uh, a lot of great spiritual traits and, uh, and used willpower and, uh, what do you call it, uh, what I'm looking for, passiveness? Not passive. He wasn't passive. Uh, he was definitely patient and uh, nonviolence, I think, was the thing that, that uh, he, he uh, was uh, radically famous for, right? I mean, he would go on these extremely long uh, hunger strikes or at least fasting and, and uh, really got people to resolve their differences as peacefully as possible. So I have a lot of respect for uh, Mahatma Gandhi. So Mark, thank you so very much for sending that out. All right, let's get this party started. On the show today, we have uh, Devin Thorpe. Devin Thorpe is the author, educator, and, and speaker. He calls himself a champion of social good. He travels extensively as a volunteer doing service, as a journalist finding heroes, and as a speaker sharing what he's learned. As a Forbes contributor, he covers social entrepreneurship and impact investing, reaching an audience of over 2 million people. He's produced over 1,000 episodes of his Your Mark on the World show featuring luminary change agents. Devin Thorpe, welcome to Money for Lunch. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Bert. I really appreciate the invitation. You've got well, such a great show, great following. Thank you. You're you're very welcome, and I I, I really do appreciate you stopping by as well. And and uh, you know it's um, uh, I I'm intrigued by this this uh, moniker, for lack of better terms, the, this idea of being a champion for social good. And I think that. Um, there is a lot of social good happening out there, but we don't really get to hear about it. And so I think it surprises people sometimes when, when I guess, good things are happening and, and you have volunteers like yourself and other people that are making it happen. And I just think it shocks, you know, it, the media just doesn't report all the social good that's happening and, and, and how people can get involved. So, therefore, I think it sometimes wakes us up, shocks us a little bit. What do you think? Well, I think you're, you're right. I, I, 
people are um, much more drawn, sadly, to the tragic stories uh, than to the um, ordinary solutions. Uh, yes. And so I, I, I write about solutions. Uh, that's where I, where I spend my time. And yeah, it, I, I find most of the stories don't get a lot of attention. Uh, I wish they got more attention, but um, there, there is something about reading about a, a train wreck, uh, literal or figurative, that draws us to that, uh, that doesn't happen when we're talking about, uh, you know, you know, m- marginal incremental improvements in, you know, polio eradication or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I don't know what that is about the human condition where, uh, you know, and, and Devin, I don't know what would happen if all of a sudden the nightly news spent as much time reporting good stuff as they did reporting quote, negative stuff. I'll, I'll use the word negative yeah. stuff, right? I, I don't know. I don't know if people would turn off the, uh, turn off the news. Would they tune in more? Would they, uh, you know, I would like to think that they would get a bump in ratings. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that people yeah. are drawn to uh, things like uh, uh, America's Got Talent or uh, these types of shows is because we like to, we like to see these underdogs win. We like to see people yeah. who, you know, who surprises because uh, they look, uh, I guess, so ordinary, and they go in there and they just, you know, blow our minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the producers have figured that out, and so they love to cast people, in fact, as as uh, underdogs, as uh, unlikely heroes, uh, even when they know they're they're really fabulous, and then they uh, they play that up, and of course uh, play to that part of our uh, psyche, right? That uh, yes. wants to see the unlikely hero. So yes, there is that certainly that aspect uh, of we love an, an underdog. So let's, let let me ask you this. I want to jump into this uh, idea uh, and, and get you to talk about uh, social entrepreneurship. And, and how do you define that? So when I think about social entrepreneurs, I'm thinking about people who start a business for profit or nonprofit with the primary intention of solving or addressing a social issue uh, rather than to make money or make a living. And uh, cause that's how I think about that. And they come in all varieties. Uh, those entrepreneurs who become passionate after the fact and, and incorporate a social mission, uh, in my mind, are not technically social entrepreneurs. They're, they're doing a form of corporate social responsibility, which is deeply admirable. I'm glad they're doing it. But uh, in my mind, the intention at the outset is a key element of, of becoming a real social entrepreneur. Uh, and it's, you know, of course, these are wonderful, inspiring people, and I write about a lot of them. And uh, it's fun to see their progress. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know what? I uh, I think that at least most of the entrepreneurs that I've met, in the back of their mind, 
one of the things that drives them is this idea to give back to the community. Uh, some mm-hmm. people have that in the front of their mind saying, hey, you know, I want to be able to, uh, to, to support my favorite charities. And if I'm, you know, once my business or as my business becomes more and more successful, I can, I can do more good. And, and I think that's part of having, uh, what do you call it, uh, a well-rounded life, for lack of better terms. I mean, it's great mm-hmm. to make a lot mm-hmm. of money, uh, but sooner or later, there's, there's only so many things that you can buy unless you're a really greedy, selfish individual. <laughs> I think sooner or later, you got to start thinking about other people. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a really excellent point. Uh, you know, I kind of uh, had that mindset in my life that I would make money first, and that then I would transition to doing good. And and I've made that transition. Uh, but what's interesting is there's sort of a new model that's developed, uh, and more and more people in their careers want to do good as an inherent fundamental part of their career and not just wait until they have made money to do good. And I I find that really an admirable career approach, and especially with entrepreneurs who set out to really fundamentally address a social problem and bake that into the the actual business model and not just uh, tack it onto the side of a business. And and let me give you an example of of the distinction. There's a a company here in Salt Lake called Even Stevens. And uh, they developed a business model where they would donate sandwiches to nonprofits uh, for every time you bought a sandwich. And it was uh, a very effective business strategy. but the company got overextended. They grew too fast, and they had to suspend all of the donations to nonprofits in order mm. to try to save the business. Um, ultimately, they filed for bankruptcy. Uh, that was really sad to see. Uh, but you know, we see all the time uh, entrepreneurs who are also creating uh, businesses that fundamentally in their the very nature of their operations are addressing a social problem. Like uh, just uh, this morning, uh, I shared a podcast that I produced with a fellow who um, is building, a, using artificial intelligence to scour the interwebs to learn everything it can about uh, grants, government mm. grants. Uh, so every level of government all around the country, and uh, then this tool will be useful for nonprofits and other, you know, socially minded people who might be eligible for those grants. Because in theory, the tool will make it easier not only for them to find but also to apply for grants. And then there will be reciprocal tools uh, where the government agencies will have an easier time finding good people to make grants to uh, and may even have an easier time in uh, gathering their accountability. And so you can see that enterprise is you know, very high tech, very exciting, uh, but fundamentally in its core, central to its being is a social mission of matching government grants to worthy 
uh, nonprofit actors. And so uh, the more successful that enterprise is, the more money is matched to uh, nonprofits, the better the world is. So it's a, it's a very different model than, you know, selling a sandwich and giving a sandwich away. So anyway, it's, uh, that's, that's an important contrast. I think, uh, as we talk about social entrepreneurship, all is good. You know, the, I love what even Stevens tried to do and for so many years did. Um, I'm hoping they'll able, they'll be able to emerge from bankruptcy and carry on. But, uh, the, but this other company I was talking about is called Egeria, and it, it's exciting to see that, and I hope they're successful. Sure. Yeah, you know, bottom line is, entrepreneur, you know, one aspect of entrepreneurship is that we're, we're here as entrepreneurs to solve problems. Uh, and sometimes those problems are, are uh, I don't know, let's say ordinary problems, like a fast food restaurant solves a problem. Uh, and in some cases, we're here to solve more complex problems. Uh, let's say something that's medical or life-threatening. But ultimately, as an entrepreneur, we serve people. And I think that you look at somebody like a Bill Gates, you know, and, and, uh, and some of the people that he is, uh, what do you call it, um, has been able to inspire and encourage to give a substantial amount of their earnings or wealth to his, to his organization. So therefore he can, you know, he can have this. So it's not so much about him and Melinda, but so, so that these wealthy individuals can take, and make a real difference. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're helping with medical uh, uh, situations in these third world countries. They're helping build schools. They're helping with uh, creating clean water or helping deliver clean water. And, you know, I think that at the end of your life on earth, it's great that you made a successful business, but ultimately the question is, who did you impact? And I think that, you know, that's ultimately what we all want to be able to say as entrepreneurs, Hey, I had an impact. I made a difference. And not even as entrepreneurs, just as human beings, I think that we all want to be able to say that I came to earth and I made a difference and I helped a few or I helped hundreds or I helped thousands or whatever. Let me ask you this. How can, let's say, ordinary investors buy shares in social enterprises? Give me your thoughts on this. Now, this is really, yeah, this is a fun aspect of you know the space in which I work because uh, the the world has changed pretty radically. Uh, if you go back five years, uh, it was essentially illegal uh, for ordinary investors to buy shares in a startup. Uh, There were some narrow exceptions, but as a result, none of us ever did that. Uh, In 2012, Congress, uh, in a bipartisan bill, passed a a law called the Jobs Act. President Obama signed that, uh, but it took four years 
for Congress to implement all of its aspects. And so it wasn't until 2016 that uh, the regulations were implemented, uh, allowing people to ordinary investors, you know, regular people that aren't rich, to buy shares in startups. And now they can. And so there, uh, a lot of these little platforms have popped up. Uh, uh, we we funder crowdfund Main Street uh, uh, crowdfunder. There are a whole bunch of them. There are about forty of them, where you can go online now and you can uh, screen businesses, startups, and invest in them. And of course, many are not social enterprises. But what excites me is it looks to me like about a third of the uh, companies issuing shares on these platforms are in fact uh, social enterprises have a social mission and you know sometimes it's not like super uh, high impact but I think it's still important like uh, electric bicycles that you know that, that's a whole genre of entrepreneurship these days and that's an exciting thing uh, I think electric bicycles are a key part of addressing climate change because they allow us to make uh, short trips with small amounts of energy instead of using a car. So they're really, I think, a key part of the solution. Um, anyway, there are all kinds of things that people can buy. So you go on these websites uh, and you very much get to do everything that uh, a venture capitalist has traditionally done in making an investment. So you can uh, interact with the management team to learn more about the their enterprises, they, the offering documents are all there online. You can read them. Um, you can read other people's questions and the answers that the management teams have given to the other questions uh, and to learn about what's going on at the enterprise and whether uh, to make an investment. And then the cool thing is, uh, you know, each issuer gets to decide what the minimum investment is, but Fifty or a hundred dollars is pretty common, and it's rare for it to be over a thousand dollars. So most of us can afford to make a small investment in one of these companies and and build a small portfolio of investments in startups, just like a venture capitalist would. So it's a very exciting time to to be an ordinary investor. Um, you know, I think about it like how would it be to invest in you know, Microsoft in its earliest days, be, right. before the venture capitalists got in, right? You know, that that's what we're kind of talking about here. Yeah, that is exciting, especially especially if you are, as you said at the top of the show, if you're focused on on social good, this is a great thing that to be able to get involved with, you know, several companies and donate, as you said, 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or, what, or whatever you feel comfortable uh, donating or, or not no, donating so much as investing. And, and maybe right. not only do you get a return on your investment, but you get to see the impact that this company is doing and, and know that you had a hand in that. Yeah, absolutely. It is exciting. It's fun. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's a great complement to the philanthropy that I think almost all Americans do. Americans are really generous people, and I'm I'm proud of that feature of Americans. Um, you know, we can do better about the way we are 
how thoughtful we are about our investments and their social and environmental impact. And and so this is one way to do that, right? To invest some some money. And I certainly wouldn't encourage anyone to invest too much in startups. It's a risky asset class. Sure. Uh, but but one win in that space could make up for a lot of losses. That's what venture capitalists learn. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you said it like that because that's why venture capitalists, uh, you know, real venture capitalists, the reason that uh, they do what they do is because they know they're going to lose 80% of the time and they're yeah. going to make their money on the 20%. And, and, and so these guys, uh, they, they know that going in. And so I think, I think that if you are investing, um, in social enterprises, you have to have the same thought that, hey, most likely uh, this company is going to go under, but what if it doesn't? I mean, to me, that, that would be a great story to be able to invest in the next Microsoft uh, or the next Google in, in those early stages and have that investment be worth an incredible amount of money, you know, five, ten years down the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to get your I want to get your thoughts on this because, and again, you know we see this in the media sometimes, and and, and I think that sometimes corporations and entrepreneurs are are sometimes stigmatized or you know are kind of what's the word I'm looking for, are looked at as the problem uh, in our world today. And I want to get your thoughts on this because, again, some people think that corporations are at fault or that corporations are part of the problem. And just give me your thoughts on this. Yeah, it it is interesting. Uh, A lot of my lefty friends especially uh, tend to think of Corporations is creating a lot of social problems. They don't pay people a living wage, uh, and they uh, hurt the environment. Uh, they exploit uh, indigenous people in the developing world. Uh, and and quite frankly, many of those observations are true. Uh, but but I like to point out that. What most people want more than anything in this world, or one of the things they want most, is a job. And the best place to get a job is in a company, a corporation, right? And so many of us aspire to that job for for a variety of good reasons. And uh, I'll give you just an example of the tension in this space and why I think sometimes we're too hard on companies. But – you know, imagine a low-wage factory in Bangladesh where people are making uh, $2 or $3 an hour in sweatshop conditions. You know, our, our reaction to that um, is likely to be uh, to think, oh, you know, we should shut that place down. That's horrible. Right. What you have to understand is that in Bangladesh, that's the good job, Right. That's the job people queue up for for days to get. Uh, people desperately want those jobs because they are 
among the only jobs. They're, they, they, it's so hard to make that much money any other way. 50% of the people in Bangladesh are living not on $2 an hour or $3 an hour, but 2 or $3 a day. A day, yeah. So, yeah, so you get a 2 or $3 an hour job, and suddenly your life is transformed, right? Now you have enough food to eat every single day. You can send your kids to school so that they have a shot at actually going to college. I mean, your life is completely different because you got that job. Now, does that mean that we should completely left, leave that company off the hook, that we shouldn't insist that they create a safe working environment? Uh, you know, very famously about five years ago, there was a plant that just like what I'm describing in Bangladesh that collapsed and killed hundreds of people. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't advocate that, right? There, that was right. a horrific tragedy. So there is a tension there uh, between these two sides of that coin, and I think it's good to have the discussion. I think it's always good to put pressure on companies to be better, to do better, to do more. Uh, there's never an end to being able to do better, to do more good. Um, at the same time, I think we need to recognize that uh, if it weren't for companies providing jobs, uh, the world would be a much, much, much worse place. So, uh, you know, we have to look at both sides of those issues. Yeah. Well, you know what? And people forget. People forget about our industrial history, right? I mean, people forget that here in America, we did the exact same thing. At one point here in America, they would chain you to your workstation as a child. Yeah. And, and, and we didn't have, uh, you know, safety was a secondary thought. I mean, we forget where we came from sometimes. And so it's easy for us to judge these third world countries because we're, you know, we're 100 years ahead of them. But at one point yeah. – America was a third world country. America was doing stuff that is, was savage, savage. I mean, who would ever yeah. think to take a child and literally chain them to their workstation? Who, who does that? Yeah. It's just crazy. But that's, you know, that's what we did. And luckily we grew from that. And, and uh, you know, we learned from our mistakes. And, and just like the example that you gave, we have our own examples of terrible unfortunate mishaps where people died and because we learned from those mistakes uh, you know conditions got better but you know when you know a company is struggling uh, and trying to get off you know trying to take that first step uh, you know it's it's a it's an effort uh, that uh, Mm -hmm. uh, what do you call it? Uh, which word I'm looking for? It's just, you know, it's one of those things that, that everybody has to uh, buy into a little bit. So, hey, today I can only pay you, you know, a buck or two a day, and this is the current condition that we're in, but hopefully in the next few years things will get better. And so th that's what, you know, that's, that's part of the buy-in. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. I, I want to talk about um, – Three ways, you have three ways that our listeners 
can have an impact with their money? And, and talk about these three ways. Sure. Well, the you know the first way is to donate and to donate uh, thoughtfully. Um, you know, there's some great ways to give more effectively. Uh, you know, great websites. Uh, you know, there's a website called GiveWell that uh, my son is a particular fan of. Uh, GuideStar uh, is another, but you know, do just a little bit of research on a nonprofit, and you'll be able to figure out very quickly uh, if they are well regarded. And if it's a good place to give, and that's true of most nonprofits, that is that the information is available. The tiniest, newest ones are not, and you'll need to decide whether the uh, how you would evaluate giving to a tiny nonprofit. And I wouldn't say that that's inherently bad, by the way. Uh, oftentimes, tiny nonprofits are led by volunteers, and and that means that the dollars are all going into program and are very effectively used. Um, so it isn't necessarily a bad thing to be tiny and new, but I would yeah. encourage people to to give. That's that's thing one. Thing two we talked about already, but that is to invest for impact. Uh, and this is an exciting time to do that. In addition to investing via the crowdfunding sites I was talking about earlier, uh, there are a few other ways to invest. And uh, just depositing your money with a bank or credit union that has uh, a good uh, policy. And there are a few of these around, like uh, Southern Bank Corp is a, a bank that uh, is really committed to serving low-income communities in Arkansas and Mississippi. I was out there, you know, working on a story for Forbes a couple of weeks ago. Uh, most credit unions uh, have really good policies to serve uh, their communities. And so they're uh, not taking advantage of people. They're not investing in, uh, you know, uh, private prisons uh, or uh, fossil fuels, generally speaking. So that that's a great thing. And then, um, so invest for good is certainly a, a second one. And then the third is to shop wisely. Uh, think about, spending your dollars uh, more in local businesses and uh, in businesses that have a good social impact track record, that are good corporate citizens. And it doesn't have to be small businesses. Um, I do own a few shares of Microsoft. I should probably disclose this as I say this, but Microsoft has a really good corporate social responsibility effort going on. They're, they're giving away about uh, 1% of their revenue and value to people about 10% of that giveaway is cash. So they're giving away a hundred million dollars of cash to nonprofits every year. And they give away about a billion dollars worth of product to nonprofits every year. More and more nonprofits I come across are getting um, really valuable Microsoft software and services for free. And it's, it's making a huge difference in the world. Um, and so that's a, a great thing that uh, you know we can be mindful of. Is, is are the companies we are doing business with, are they doing their fair share? Um, and it's not too hard to find out. So that's that's the third way to use your money in a way that will drive impact. 
Yeah, I like that. Because I think that more and more corporations do have some kind of community giving uh, opportunity right on their uh, on their website. And so, as you said, you can easily find out. I mean, I think, uh, is it Tom Shoes that kind of really did the whole thing like even Steven did, right? You buy a pair, we give away mm-hmm. a pair. And, yep. and they certainly were not hurt by that strategy. And yeah. I have, I have four women in my life, my wife, and I have three daughters and all of them have at least, uh, a couple of pairs of Tom shoes. I think my oldest yeah, daughter you has, go. you know, four or five pairs. It's, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Tom's has gone away from the uh, one for one giving away shoes that made them so famous. I know. Uh, now that instead of giving the money away for uh, to, uh, in the form of shoes to people who can't afford their own shoes, they, I think they picked up gun safety as their their issue, and they they use the money they give the money to uh, nonprofits that are uh, trying to in, make the world a safer place uh, in terms of guns. So that's a that's an interesting shift in in their work recently. Yeah, um, it's uh, you know, and and. and and when they did that that change, you know, again, uh, you can see why they made that change. I, I uh, we've had multiple issues with gun shootings, uh, gun shootings at schools, and, and and all this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I could see them saying, "Hey, maybe we can have a bigger impact this way." Um, so. Uh, yeah. I think they were also criticized for the economic impact of giving shoes away in the developing world because it mm. sometimes made it difficult for the people who made and sold shoes there. Uh, it made it more difficult when someone was giving away shoes in the community. Sure. Um, so I think that I'm not sure – that that criticism was always fair. If you're giving shoes to someone who absolutely can't afford to buy shoes, you have not impacted the economy at all. And you may teach someone to value shoes even more so that they will buy shoes in the future. So I'm not sure it was fair criticism, but I know they were criticized for that. Uh, And so that probably was the other part of that equation. Um, And they had done a variety of things to try to address that by, you know, for instance, buying shoes and, from the developing world uh, for the developing world so that they weren't having a net in negative impact on the shoe supply that they're anyway, interesting things. Uh, but your, your point is well made fundamentally that, uh, that people are often drawn to social impact companies when they make their purchases. And I think it's a great thing for us to consciously seek to do. Absolutely. And you know what? I, and, and I do kind of want to hover on this, uh, criticism thing. Unfortunately, we will always be criticized no matter what we do. And mm-hmm. the, the reality is you are better off doing what you believe is right 
and being criticized than not doing anything at all. And, and yep. no matter what, whatever it is you do, you give a million dollars to, uh, you know, to a charity, somebody will criticize you. Uh, you know, no matter what, you're going to be criticized because you could have, would have, should have. And what's always interesting to me, Devin, is that, that the people who are criticizing are people who are not doing anything, who are probably not yeah. giving, you know, their fair share. Uh, you know, my favorite, you know, my favorite, uh, what do you call it, uh, critics. Uh, and I and I believe this is this is critics across the table, but if you look at a movie critic, they get paid to me an obscene amount of money to criticize uh, uh, professionals, to criticize content, to criticize artwork that they themselves cannot do or are not doing for whatever reason. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, I've never heard an actor or a director criticize, you know, somebody the way a critic does, you know. Uh, and so that, I think, is is the way critics work. There's a lot of critics out there that make a lot of money criticizing other people's efforts, but yet – you know, they don't do anything. I mean, I, I don't know a restaurant critic that is famous for his food. And, yeah. and therefore, he yeah. can come in and say, hey, I, you know, I, I've, I've done all this food stuff. I've, I've done, you know, here's a, here's a, here's the, what do you call it? A, a uh, resume of my work. I've done, you know, I'm famous for this dish. I've run multiple restaurants and I retired and I became a food critic. Okay. I'll have a little bit more respect for you, but when your job is just to be a critic and you haven't ever done anything, how do you get that job? I mean, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wrote an article for Forbes. I wrote an article for Forbes about just that thing. I, I called the article, you're doing good wrong. And uh, it, you know, it was interesting. One of the things that I mentioned in this article is that people are sometimes critical of Bill Gates uh, for having kind of a, an ivory tower approach uh, to doing good, you know, sitting in Seattle and, and making decisions without input from people on the ground. And I pointed out that one of the things that he's done is to partner with Rotary International, which has clubs in about 200 countries around the world. So wherever he goes uh, in his work with fighting polio, for instance, with Rotary, he has eyes and ears on the ground, people who are living in those communities and can help not only deliver the vaccines, but provide feedback on the processes. So he's got this great two-way street. Um, to, and, and, that, and so that's what I pointed out in the article. The outcome of that was the Gates Foundation reached out to me and asked me if I would like to interview Bill. So I'm going to interview Bill Bill Gates next week. I'm very excited about that. Oh, that is way cool. I mean, first of all, yeah. first of all, that's way cool for a couple of different reasons. Obviously, you know, uh, when they're reaching out to you, that's uh, they're aware of your work. That's nice. Uh, congratulations for that alone. Second of all, when they say, "Would you like to interview this person or that person?" That's even better. That's that's 
Very nice. Congratulations on both yeah. of those. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I am very excited. <laughs> yeah. As you can uh, yeah, I, I can certainly imagine that. That, uh, you know, that's, that's awesome. Uh, that is awesome. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think, uh, you know, so, so let me ask you this. How did you get started down this road? I mean, kind of give us a scenario, what you were doing and how you ended up here. Yeah, so I was uh, go back as you know. I'm, I, I won't spend the whole time telling you, but I, when I was 11, I was uh, my dad dragged me up to Rexburg, Idaho, to dig muck and mud out of basements after the Teton Dam failed and nearly wiped out the town of Rexburg. And you know, I was a little kid, and I really probably didn't do any good that day, but I really felt like I'd made a difference in the world, and I just vowed to myself that I would never miss an opportunity to, to do good, to serve other people. But over the years, of course, I did miss lots of opportunities, but when I was about, golly, what was I? I was about 46. I got fired from the best job I'd ever had, and... um had a little severance package. That was great. And so I, I kind of said, this is my opportunity. I kind of channeled that uh, enthusiasm of my youth and uh, began a transition. I went to China for a year. I wrote a book called Your Mark on the World, which is a book about using your money for good. And uh, came home from that China experience, committed to making that a career. I wasn't sure what shape or form that would take. Um, Serendipitously, I uh, was invited to write a, uh, a guest post for Forbes, and they invited me to be a, a regular contributor. I've been doing that now for uh, seven years, uh, written over 500 articles for Forbes, uh, and it's been a great, great experience. Um, so that's kind of how I made that transition from chief financial officer, investment banker, corporate treasurer, you know, to champion of social good. Yeah, no, it's a great, uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, the best job you ever had, just out of curiosity, what was that job? So I was the chief financial officer for a company called Mona V, uh, that, um, uh, manufactured and sold uh, food and beverages uh, gotcha. around the world. So it was a, it was a great company. Uh, uh, about five years after I left, they uh, they were essentially uh, acquired by uh, a, a much larger business. After they'd struggled for a few years, they um, – they shouldn't have fired me. I'm glad they did in so many ways. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, but, uh, absolutely. Um, they, so, I think they you know, just out of curiosity, because I'm sure that you get this question uh, quite a bit. Um, how can people have an impact without using money? Yeah, there, there are lots and lots of ways. Um, Five years ago, you may recall, there was the uh, uh, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Do you remember that, yes. Bert? 
Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that came out of that is, is I was amazed at how resentful some people were. And it was a pretty common feeling that people who simply dumped ice water on their heads were doing no good, that it was silly. Um, the ALS folks that summer raised over $100 million. Mm. The people who dumped ice over their heads but did not donate did an incredible amount of good. Uh, it was the most successful crowdfunding campaign for nonprofits ever in history, bar none and by far. Um, just really an inspiring thing. And it proved better than any other thing I've ever seen uh, the power of helping to spread a message. Uh, so it is meaningful when people who don't have the money to give share a story on social media about a cause because some of their friends do have means and ability to give. Uh, it is easy and meaningful to uh, adopt a pet uh, that has been uh, a shelter, you know, a shelter animal. It's uh, meaningful and incredibly valuable to nonprofit organizations to go volunteer. And so there are all kinds of ways to make a huge difference in the world without spending uh, any money. And I encourage people to do it. Uh, I, I do have a strategy that uh, I really is the theme of my book, uh, Your Mark on the World, that I wrote back in China back in you know, 2012, but you know, the, the, the idea is that if you align your giving with your volunteering, it becomes extra powerful. It really does because what will happen over time, let's just say, Bert, that you have someone that uh, is making um, – Let's just say $75,000 a year. There are probably a lot of your listeners who make more than that. But let's just say $75,000 a year. And let's say you're willing to give 5% of that away every year. That's nearly four grand. If you were to give all of that four grand to one cause and volunteer your time, you would become one of the most significant donors in the local community for that cause. And pretty soon you're going to find yourself on committees and planning and organizing thing, and then you'll be on the board. Um, and now your your money is not only going to help do good, but your time and wisdom now is being leveraged, and you are really making a big difference. And if you did that over your entire career, let's say you're 30 and you're making 75 grand a year, and you start doing this. 5% to one cause thing for the rest of your career. Well, over the span of your career, uh, you know, the next 30, 35 years, you would give hundreds of thousands of dollars to that organization. And uh, your leadership would become extraordinary. You know, they, they'll be able to statue to you at the end of your career. And yet you may never become rich by, ordinary conception of it, but your total giving would have been extraordinary. So, yeah, I encourage people to to uh, combine their 
their service with their philanthropy to really uh, have the most impact. I love that. I love that. Great idea. Great example, that ALS challenge, the ice bucket challenge, goes to show you that if you're creative, you can you can have a massive impact. Uh, that, Absolutely. That it doesn't. It isn't about just money. There's there's a lot of stuff that you can do about, you know, and it's just a matter of being creative. Devin, we're out of time. I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and cannot wait to read your interview or hear or listen to your interview with uh, Bill Gates. Is that going to be audio or written? How is that going to be done? It's going to be uh, audio, video, and then I'll do a write-up for Forbes about it. So, uh, yeah, you can watch watch my Forbes channel for that at uh, – uh, just search Devin Thorpe on Forbes, and and that'll be out before the end of May. Awesome! And then for for anybody else who wants to catch your show, the show is called Your Mark on the World, and you can just Google Your Mark on the World or Google Devin Thorpe. Uh, just out of curiosity, does your your show Your Mark on the World does it have a website? Um, sort of. Uh, it has two websites. Well, three. So I I post some. Uh, episodes on Forbes, some episodes on yourmarkontheworld.com, and some episodes on goodcrowd.info when we're talking about crowdfunding. I love it. All right. So, Mark, uh, what is it? Uh, yourmarkontheworld.com, Mark Forbes, and goodcrowd.info, um, and Forbes. All right. I love it. Devin Forbes, thank you so much for stopping by today. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Bert. Really appreciate you having me. You bet. Good stuff there from. Devin Thorpe, uh, just love his um, his focus. Uh, I love this idea of being a social entrepreneur. Uh, let's do this. Let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help everybody start thinking about being a social entrepreneur, helping them maybe uh, to raise uh, their standards a little bit. Maybe you're already involved with the charity, and, and you might get some ideas from this episode. As always, my friends, thank you so much for listening. And remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.